Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. Let's get going. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. Up there is the AI. You want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. So today is season two, episode 186 for July 5th, 2023. Does this paint make my ship look fat? We've already selected all 12 of our articles. If you type in chat exclamation point vote, uh, it will pull up the location for our all of the articles, their little subtitles, and you can click on the links now. Uh, well, the titles that will take you to the articles uh, here on uh, hometown.com. I will, uh, this episode and maybe in others, um, I will continue to uh, copy and paste them into the chat. Um, kind of makes a better VOD, but I'll be throwing them in the show notes after the, the show is done as well. Got a little bit of work to do um, to get all of that workflow done. But anyway, that's all inside baseball. Let's get into today's articles. What say you? I say let's do it. All right, let me move you right there. Okay. Things are out of hand. We're doing it live, folks, every day, 9 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) Like, really? Yeah, we're doing it always live. Hello, crazy cat lady. Wow, you are here bright-eyed and bushy-tailed welcome to the show we are uh, just about halfway through the year i mean this is pretty quick right i mean well we're more than halfway through the year but this is crazy yeah 2023 is moving very fast i'm not ready for it i i don't know um so yesterday was fourth of july did I see that you commented on a few articles? Mm, I didn't get any notices, but let me take a look. Maybe, maybe I did. I'll have to take a look, but that is awesome. Thank you very much for commenting on articles. That is absolutely awesome. Did you use the feature? We have a feature down here so that you can actually use Giphy. You know, a picture tells a thousand words, right? Or says a thousand words, then you can actually use Giphy. Um, it's a neat little feature. It's no longer attached to, uh, well, it's attached to Pinterest now instead of uh, Facebook. Uh, but anyway, that is awesome. Thank you very much, cat lady. Very awesome of you. Um, so we have a new feature. I don't know if you were here right at the very beginning of it, but if you type in exclamation point vote in chat, it will actually give you a link to the elections. Um, where you can vote on the articles that you dig. And uh, we uh, tabulate all of those votes in the back end of hometown. And um, that actually does influence, uh, to some degree, the news. Um, Obviously, if there's some very pressing information or um, something uh, going on, I don't know, uh, we kind of weigh all of the articles, so... Um, don't take it personally. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we now have that feature fully operational. It is a fully operational death star. 
Um, and you can go into the past elections, but those are a little wonky because we didn't do anything to activate their URLs. So it looks a little strange, but anyway, moving forward, you'll be able to get to all of the articles a whole lot faster. But again, like I said, I will be throwing the URLs into the chat um, as we go through. So if I don't just warn me and I'll throw I'll make sure I'm all up to date, but this is how it looks. Um, for now, our past elections have a page where we add each one of the elections and we switched um, back in May 20, uh, May 19th, 2023. Um, I switched from an external service to do it all on hometown itself. So every article that we have talked about now has a backlink from this page. So you can click on this link. It'll take you to an election. You can vote on the articles, follow the links from them. And each one of the articles has their own little pithy little title. So I hope you dig it. And if you have any recommendations to change it, I, I am not set on the color scheme. This is just a demonstration. Okay, but with all of that said, enough rambling. Let's get into the articles. Sound good? Sounds great. Uh, the very first article, and one that I don't know if I'll spend a lot of time talking about that, unless you all want to. Um, this is in the continuity report. All Indiana Jones movies ranked by tomato meter. There's a lot of talk, and I've actually seen some articles and some presser stuff regarding this last, the uh, dial of a disaster um i mean destiny doggone it i that was a, an abandoned movie title for it um anyway he, <laughs> the mo the the co-star his daughter was really marginalized a lot in like presser stuff that i saw um i was astonished by how much and and even the whole like the tone of um the interviews was really kind of diminishing. It was almost demeaning. I would say that at least one was absolutely demeaning. It was really weird. Um, I can't believe it. But anyway, let's get into this. This, this is going to be interesting. It says, for Dr. Jones, there's plenty of time uh, for love as we celebrate Indy and all his Nazi-punching, snake-fearing, museum-advocating glory, right? Well, not so much. Um, this is over at RottenTomatoes.com. It's... I think a bunch of people had something to do with it. Not, not just one person, at least based on my observation. Um, so I guess I have to say that RottenTomatoes.com put this article together and they rate them. And um, number one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Pretty much the, the entry. Yeah, it was well written. It's a lot of fun to watch if you... If you pay attention to it, though, there's some hinky stuff going on in there, um, which if you if you start going down this rabbit hole of the, the, the context of some of the interactions between the characters, you kind of go, mm, Indy's kind of a creeper. We'll just move on. Um, but Raiders of the Lost Ark was actually... Okay, so the phrase, never meet your heroes, is pretty much accurate though okay because when you do peel back the layers of the onion like i regularly do 
yeah, you kind of question what's going on here. Um, then Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I liked it. It was okay. Um, uh, Sean Connery was dad and had somewhat of the same demeanor. Fun movie to watch. Um, neat special effects. I, I don't think that any of that... You have to suspend disbelief in a lot of this anyway, because there's some fantastical supernatural stuff in all of this. Uh, but it was a fun watch. Both of these uh, circa 1980s, which um, at least for me was the, the pinnacle of movie going experiences. <laughs> even even if now you look at those 80s movies and go, oh, my God, this is horrible, you know. Um, special effects were bad. You know, the writing was kind of, eh. it was a lot of emo stuff and, uh, just kind of relationship trouble and strife, everything from pretty in pink to better off dead to, um, uh, breakfast club, all of this, right. Had great music and had just quirky personalities and stuff like that. But a lot of it uh, would never have been made in this era. Um, then Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So I cannot believe that number three is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I thought everybody couldn't stand that one in the franchise. I don't understand this at all. Says critics consensus. Though the plot elements are certainly familiar, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull still de delivers the thrills and Harrison Ford's return in the in the title role is more than welcome. The story was excruciating. Uh, the only reason why I actually liked it is because of the the gadgetry and stuff that took place and and that it was well it was aliens and you know I I think that kind of stuff is kind of cool but um Crazy Cat Lady says, never seen any of these, so have no input. That's okay. Now, if not now, when? <laughs> Time to fire them all up and start watching. Bill says, yeah, so this indie has to be good based on the trend. First one, great. Temple, man. Last Crusade, excellent. Crystal Skull, kill me now. So based on the odds, Dial has to be good? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I, I, the critics' consensus here doesn't really mean much because it doesn't say much. You you have to go and look at the the greater uh, verbiage and review of the Crystal Skull. Um, I don't think many people really liked Crystal Skull. It was too. Uh, I don't know, just too out there. Um, and Shia LaBeouf didn't really bring it. He's the, the failed kid. Uh, they Supposedly, Shia LaBeouf was the one that was going to take over as Harrison Ford. There wasn't much chemistry there. He was basically um, the same kind of character that he has always played, apparently. You know, I, I, I don't know him from anything other than Transformers and from um, Crystal Skull. And he would, I don't know. He's just like a, and I know uh, Shia LaBeouf was a child actor that turned into an adult actor. And I think all he did was pull, 
his child actor persona into adult and uh, it doesn't really do much for me I just like either the tech the gadgets the, the stuff or the fantastical elements of it and I can suspend everything about Shia LaBeouf haven't seen Dial Toll says haven't seen Dial but there is no way it's worse than Skull mm. yeah hold my beer um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I actually liked that more than Crystal Skull. Um, and Last Crusade. Um, it's a critics consensus that says that it may be too dark for some, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom remains an ingenious adventure spectacle uh, that showcases one of Hollywood's finest filmmaking teams in vintage form. Um, I liked it, but. It was literally the next, it was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom um, right after Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it was almost a contiguous set of characters moving on. Um, And then uh, I think it was Last Crusade. And now we're looking at Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny says it isn't as thrilling as earlier adventures but the nostalgic rush of seeing harrison ford back in action helps indiana jones and the dial of destiny find new final bits of cinematic treasure i haven't seen it yet but i have to say that it's the it's the end of the era of harrison ford as um indiana jones he's doing the show at 80. so they're they're um, using technology to de-age him throughout this oh, wow. movie um, and doing other movie tricks. And I have a hard time pulling. I have a hard time separating the real world persona, the real real world actor from their character when they act like a tool and his um jokey comment in just one interaction with um during his the movie junket you know doing the uh, interviews and stuff he made some um i don't know kind of red light district joke about the co-star and uh, i kind of just said yeah i'm not really into this and for all accounts what people have said in their reviews is that phoebe waller bridge um isn't very likable uh as a character and definitely not one that's going to take the reins of harrison ford um and continue the indiana jones kind of um so yeah i i don't know i i'll end up watching it but probably not until it comes to a streaming service crazy cat lady says that in october 2020 shia was charged with a misdemeanor um, battery and petty theft really after taking a man's hat following a physical altercation well that's some charge amplification there um a few months later singer fka twigs filed a lawsuit against him claiming that he abused her during a relationship yeah i would i would say that um let's see that was uh, quite a ways away from when he was in um, Crystal Skull, right? 
but it speaks to the fact that I think that a lot of people who have great wealth become distanced from (laughs) caring what other people say and do um, about them or around them or what they do and say themselves. They just kind of get their humanity ripped away from them. Um, I find it quite fascinating. Uh, Crazy Cat Lady says that it removed him from the Transformers movies. Yeah, I no, think I didn't it's, realize that. Yeah. Um, it's so recent, though. The only, the only Transformer movie post-2020 would be the a- animal one that's out right now, I think, right? I'm not sure. Um, but that's okay. You have a rundown here of uh, the Indiana Jones movies and... I think I'll probably end up watching them all and then watching <laughs> um, this the Dial of Destiny. Because you, if you have uh, Disney, then you have access to all of them right now. Um, you can you can watch them all. I actually own them all. I think I'm not sure anymore. I got a lot of movies. So let's keep on trucking through these uh, articles. Sound good? Sounds good. So this next article is over in Four Wheel Tech. This EV truck maker is giga casting its battery packs for longevity. Um, this is an Ars Technica article, and they say we make no secret of our affection for the EV here at Ars, and that extends beyond the light duty cars and trucks we usually. Uh, drive and write about the commercial vehicle sector is electrifying too but most of what we've seen in terms of commercial evs is either at the lightest end of the scale class 2 trucks uh, like the ford e-transit which i have an affection for even though i've never owned one never driven one i've only seen it for some reason it speaks to me um and bright drop zevo 600 which i've not even heard of um or the biggest class 8 trucks that Uh, We've seen from Daimler and uh, Volvo and Tesla has one too. So let's go over to the uh, article. It's over at Ars Technica. Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author. It says the the deck statement here is the powertrain has been designed and built in-house for a 450,000 mile life. The, The battery packs on these things are still kind of fused in place and it's very difficult to get them out and replace them um, and recondition them and fast swap them out. I know that I harp on the idea of fast swap batteries, but I think that's truly the only way we're going to get away from the high cost of an EV. Not people say, well, you know, it doesn't cost much to recharge a battery. That's not the true cost. (laughs) That is by far not the true cost of an EV. Um, within, so how long does the average person uh, keep a car? I don't know anymore. Um, you know, I, it could be five years, it could be ten years. But anecdotally, I can say that I've never had to replace the power plant in any car because it has failed. Um, so the my issue is that batteries are going to fail they're a consumable eventually they fail 
Um, I just watched a person that uh, purchased a one-off uh, concept vehicle that was built for $2 million. He bought it for $7,000. Um, and the battery couldn't hold the charge to save its life and um, had been had dead cell cells, imbalanced cells. This was over a period of about 15 years. Um, the batteries are going to continuously be an issue and they're going to end up in landfills or they're going to be you're going to have to sell them to some, not even sell them. You're going to have to pay somebody to take your battery off of you so that they can recondition it. Or there's going to be some environmental um, duty tax or something going on with these batteries from EVs. Even if there are customers out there or businesses that will get them, it still is going to be expensive to process them and bring them back onto the market. But again, they're batteries, so they're getting consumed. The real cost of an EV is the, the cost of operating the EV for its lifetime. And if you're going to keep it, <laughs> then you're going to have to replace the battery within 10 years. And it's somewhere between seven dollars and $15,000 currently. Just wait until supply and demand becomes a burden for lithium or whatever the other high energy chemistry is that's gonna be in place. So why are we paying for batteries? Why isn't it like a, a, a gas station where we drive in, we fast swap the batteries out, we pay 20 bucks and somebody reconditions and babies the battery so that it can go into the next vehicle. And they, the company that puts that into your car account for it and say here's the quality of the battery we guarantee that it'll get that charge from this point to that point whatever the quality rating is um, and you'll be able to drive it to the next gas station just like you do right now with fossil fuels with gasoline so you don't pay for all of your gasoline all at once you pay it in short little blips over the lifetime of your use of the car but you're paying for the lifetime use of your battery all at once. That's why it's a luxury vehicle. That battery is so expensive that it take it is one third of the price of the vehicle that you're you're purchasing. And you don't have a choice. It's going to fail. Now, try and sell your car eight years into after owning it. It has a 10 year lifespan. Whoever buys your EV now has the burden of your burnt out husk of a battery. <laughs> so I, I think we've got a, a longer term problem, um, not to mention insurance doesn't know how to properly assign uh, the burden of uh, insurance for EVs. Um, resale value is hit or miss. Um, Quality control plays a huge impact on it. Environment makes another impact on it. It's just, it's a hot mess, I think. So um, what do you think? Do you, do you have anything that you want to weigh in at on regarding not just this article, because we really haven't talked about the article so much, but EVs in general, because they're talking about a 450,000 mile life, but you're not going to hit that. 
Well, right. I mean, you're barely going to get near that with the battery piece. And I did look up roughly people own uh, traditional vehicles for 10 years, at least for the top 10 selling cars. Um, It was like nine to 11 years or something like that. Um, I don't have much more to add. I mean, we've talked about, it's like the, the manufacturers keep following the same method, but there don't seem to be trying different um, mechanisms. And so, like we have the same battery and infrastructure issues that we're seeing with Tesla, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Tull says in chat that um, they're trying to remember an EV truck maker that allowed you to uh, basically put a long item through the entirety of the car. Um, I don't know what car that is. I know that there have been cars where you can put stuff and because it doesn't have anything, um, it doesn't have that, uh, what do they call it? I can't remember the little hump where the drivetrain is. Um, the, uh, they can pin it inside the cabin, <laughs> um, from the tail all the way into the cabin. I've seen those, but, um, I can't remember it either. Oh, okay. Toll. I'll talk to you later. Thank you very much for coming and saying hi. Appreciate it. Um, well, with this vehicle, it's basically my favorite kind of truck, which is kind of the bread truck delivery vehicle. Uh, I love the idea of it. Um, and I've always wanted one of these. What I would really like to do, though, is this thing actually has a really low center of gravity and all of the weight is down here by the axle. Um, and then it's just a massive amount of weight. That's all battery. It's an 800 volt system. Supposedly you can fast charge this. And um, with all that weight down there, it's not going to be tippy canoe, but it's still, this is still fused in there. You can't just, you can't easily get it out, you know, not even in a secure manner. Can you get it out of there? So I, I'm just. I'm distracted by the fact that the industry refuses to accept that we need to fast swap batteries out regardless of the shape, regardless of whatever the spec is for it. Batteries are fundamentally the same. It's an energy source. It's going, everybody is pretty much going the route of 800 volts. Why don't we standardize around it? So it becomes a known quantity, you know, and it used to be, V8s, right? Bigger, more powerful cars were V10s, V12s. Luxury cars went that route, V, V10, V12. But the like a standard vehicle was a V8 of varying sizes. Um, we standardized around disc brakes. We standardized standardized around uh, spark plugs, around tires, around all kinds of stuff. Yet here we have the basics of standardization, which is 800 volts. We know what the wheelbase is. We know what the chassis width is. We know what we need to do to get the battery in there. Why not design around the battery first and foremost, and then put a pretty skin over it? You know, that's not what we do though. We wedge this thing in, it becomes an unserviceable nightmare. 
and you cannot fast swap this out. You won't ever be able to retroactively fast swap this thing out because it's like wedged in between the frame. So, I mean, I love the idea of it, but they're basically casting these batteries to fit right into this spot. It's now proprietary. There's no standardization. It makes this a unique vehicle, which makes those batteries ass expensive, <laughs> just wildly expensive. Right. Good luck if you break down. Yep. Um, and, and nothing's going to help you, right? Like an internal combustion engine, you can troubleshoot the hell out of it and find a, a, a solution. Even if it is, you know, bubble gum and a toothpick, you can figure out what the problem is. But when this is wedged down in here, the only thing you're going to be able to do is break out uh, a voltmeter and go, yep, bad battery pack. Okay, well, how do I get it out of there? So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to remove the bolts from this side of the chassis and this side of the chassis. And then we're going to have to get uh, uh, a torch and cut off the back end of the car. Yeah, unless they've got some miraculous engineering going on here, I don't see this. Um, but I love the idea of going all electric. Um, so this here is um, just another harbinger <laughs> of the coming age of electric vehicles, um, particularly moving into um, services uh, like mail delivery. There's a whole bunch of electric vehicles that are mail for mail delivery now. Uh, the USPS is doing it. UPS is apparently doing that as well. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, companies that are moving over to uh, EVs, uh, typically for short run, local, uh, and then they charge all night long. So um, I, I just... I just wish that we would standardize so that we can make it a system where I'm not paying for a battery that is a known failure point. The physics doesn't lie. The batteries don't last in perpetuity. They become a non-viable uh, paperweight, except it's just dead weight in a car. So I see a problem, a rolling problem 10 years from the birth of the EV, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, everybody's going to have a problem with their EV. Okay, let's keep on hustling. Uh, the next article is over in Warcrafters. Uh, in, any in case there was any doubt, Google's privacy policy now explicitly states that it's going to suck up all of your data to train its AI. Um, if you didn't know about this, now you do. Um, so the article was written by Andy Chalk over at PCGamer.com. Um, to me, I read this as they're aware of security and, and, and personal, uh, privacy issues. Okay. So, uh, since Gmail existed, we have been told the refrain that humans aren't looking at your dot, 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 whatever it might be that you're emailing. So, um, coming from somebody who used to have a mail service, um, that stopped spam before it ever left the spammer servers. 
I can tell you that mail is unprotected in transit from server to server. It is in plain text, so anybody can actually read it. All you have to do is be a relay proxy. Um, part of the uh, uh, the POP and SMTP server email system, um, and you can be a relay. Um, and you would be able to read people's mail. It would just come in as packets and you can put them all together. It would actually become a .eml file and it's easy uh, to review stuff. Totally unethical, but again, I say business and ethics, the smallest chapter in the employee manual is ethics. So Google has updated its privacy policy to say that publicly available data will be used to train it says Brad and the cloud AI. I was trying not to giggle at that. I think it's supposed to be bored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, so um, here's the problem with this. If it's training with the information that people are providing it, ultimately chat GPT is going to spew that stuff out or bard is going to spew that stuff out or somebody is going to spew out some concoction of that because again at the bottom of every chat gpt page it says that it, in not so many terms i'm gonna spit out some bullshit from time to time um and you just have to go oh, all right okay cool i'm gonna use that in my uh, legal fight um so it says naturally Google collects data from your online activity, like the stuff you search for, the videos you watch, the things you buy, uh, the people you talk to, actually, and the people that talk about you. Um, there was a situation where uh, I knew somebody that refused to get involved in any social media, and the moment that they did, it tied them to somebody that they had never looked for, they weren't doing anything with uh, directly, but the service must have keyed in on something that the other person had done and made A connect to Z and then notified the, the person that talked to me about it saying, hey, you know, um, I'm in a situation where that person is involved and we don't even, we don't, we explicitly do not talk to each other. Uh, we don't look for each other online. We don't uh, have any purpose to, to do that. Yet we're connected via a social media site. Creepy as hell. And so that put the kibosh on that person doing anything in social media because it went beyond it. I mean, the scale of you know, zero to 10, this hit 11 um, because it, it wasn't an amicable type of negotiation that was taking place. So if it provided their information to my contact, did it, pro did it provide my contacts information to the other person that was in that connection? Well, obviously we can't go pursuing that, right? Because the moment that you say, Hey, can you provide me the process by which you ingested a shit ton of messages and, and uh, searches and information and how you managed to connect me to them? 
lawsuit right there. You'd end up in court. Well, we're not going to say anything unless we hear from an attorney and a court order saying that we're going to provide information. We would, and it would turn into, well, it's business practices, um, you know, and it's private, it's secret. It's our algorithm. Yeah, it's our algorithm and it's protected by a patent. So you're not allowed to see anything for the next X number of whatever. I mean, algorithm, what you see in a patent for something like an algorithm is a system and a process. You don't actually see the algorithm. You see the system and method, system and process, system and whatever else terminology they want to say, but it's a system and that can be protected. So they give you a proxy symbol. This is the algorithm that is doing X, Y, and Z. So this is going to be regurgitating everything that everybody says through the Google system. So you either have to become one with that or you have to bow out of it entirely. I have to become one with it (laughs) because it's more secure than some average Joe website service provider where a typical mail server is housed because it's not like they're absolutely fastidious about every single mail server that's in place. There's more moving parts, fewer people employed, um, salaries are different. (laughs) Care and feeding of employees is different. So, you know, Google is going to be vastly more secure than many other sites. Yeah, Apple is the same way. If anybody breaches the system security wise, they're in for a world of hurt. But on the inside, this is going to be grabbing all of your mail, all of your traffic, all of your information, and then churning it into a buttery mess and then spitting it back out onto everybody else's plate at some point. And you'll know it when somebody goes, I am the only person on the planet to ever turn that phrase. And here I am witnessing it in something that somebody else used chat GBT for. It's like the artist. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so, I mean, it's not secure, of course, to use email for any sensitive information, but so could it even pull things like if somebody put their credit card number in an email or yeah. their social security number or whatever, just yeah. basically personal data, not just their message. Yeah. 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 Google knows that I look up my little pony, um, rainbow adventure, uh, from time to time, you know, your ISP knows about every website that you go to every single website. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? It, it, it's akin to putting all of your eggs in one basket and then somebody just yeets that basket out from under you. Yeah, you're done. So you have to just roll with it, um, and not stress about it. It, it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You had better have uh, alternate plans. So it says here, BART is essentially Google's answer to ChatGPT um, announced earlier this year. And much like uh, other AI models, it has an entirely smooth sailing. In April, for instance, a report claimed 
that several Google uh, employees had urged the company not to roll out BARD because the, comp- the information it provided uh, in response to queries was worse than useless and effectively made the chatbot a pathological liar. Yeah, well, it's sociopathic or psychopathic because it doesn't have any emotion. It doesn't understand emotion or it's the impact of the words that it is you know, churning in its system. It just spits out whatever it wants to spit out. And it's built off of the humans that it's data mining. It's it's not going to be a good time for AIs. Those who benefit from it are largely in the creative sector of things because anything that is absolute, like science, like law, where there is certain things that have to be in a certain order, otherwise people die or go to jail <laughs> or lose millions or whatever. You know, I could care less that an AI is um, making music, writing books, uh, whatever else, as long as it's fiction, <laughs> as long as it's made up and not used as absolutely true uh, it, or entertainment, you know, it's fine. Um, but when it's churning through people's real information and then spitting out garbage, that's when I have a problem. So, Hey, I was going to say at the end of the article, it referenced something that's also in hometown. I don't think it's in the show today, but basically some authors have sued, um, I think chat GPT. Yeah. Um, they filed their own lawsuit against OpenAI, alleging that ChatGPT violated copyright laws by using their works to train an AI, its AI model without permission, which I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, words are words. It's what's protected is the embodiment um, in its printed form, in its digital form. If somebody buys it, and consumes it, it's akin to an AI. I am an AI. I happen to be a biological computer. So if they purchased it, then fine. I, I could care less. Um, because it, it at the end of the day, it's just pure data. There's nothing more to it. Um, they're not spitting out prose and saying that it was authored by uh, Paul Tremblay. <laughs> so <coughs> it is just pure data. And, you know, uh, like I say about security and computers, the only way you're going to have an actually absolutely secure computer is it. It's never been powered on. It's sitting in a closet somewhere. It has no data on it. There's a secure computer. Anything short of that. Yeah, you're it's not if it's when you're going to be compromised. This is, it's just data. If you don't want people to see it, if you don't ever want an AI or a computer or a person to actually be able to utilize it in some way, because I guarantee you there are other authors out there that are reading Paul Tremblay and Mona Awad and saying, I can write like them and using them as the inspiration. Same thing with artists, music, everything. (coughs) Anyway, Let's keep on going. Um, We're not even halfway through, but we're deep into the reads here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, I want to at least uh, allow you to go to sleep 
uh, in a reasonable time. Um, the next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. Judge accused of lip syncing racy songs in chambers and in bed in TikTok videos. Well, yeah, it was okay, I suppose. And then kind of, <laughs> it was the judge equivalent of a cat going push <laughs> off the edge. So a New Jersey judge is facing an ethics complaint alleging that he lip synced songs with graphic sexual references and inappropriate videos that he posted to TikTok. What? Okay, first of all, what did the judge expect was going to happen from this? I, I don't know. I'd like to know uh, if my, you know, I, I have this anecdotally supported theory that when you are rich and connected then you lose touch with your humanity i'm really curious if this person is that well off because <laughs> obviously a judge is powerful enough that they can become disconnected from their humanity because they sit there and see trouble and strife all day long almost like ptsd something happens to our psyche um so Deborah Kasten's Weiss over at uh, ABAJournal.com put this article together. The judge, the accused judge, Judge Gary N. Wilcox of Bergen County, New Jersey, is 58 years old. His lawyer, Robert Hill, told the New York Times. The music detailed in the complaint is by mainstream performers, Hill said. This is music that's out there in public, and clearly it elicits a different response depending on who is listening. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't sit there and lip sync. Wait, so he's blasting the music. There's a whole not safe for work concept, right? So you don't blast illicit lyrics in a workplace. You. <laughs> this person obviously failed to understand even the nuance close to title nine training and to be a judge you're definitely going through title nine training um wilcox is accused of lip syncing the songs in his chambers in the courthouse and in his bed according to the june 30th ethics complaint by new jersey supreme court's advisory committee on judicial conduct now i could care less if he's doing it in his bed i could care less if he's posting those to youtube or to tiktok what happens in his bed is his business. The rest of it, though. Maybe a little. Wearing his official judicial robes while doing this. You have no idea that what is an, a, an official judicial robe. Give me a break. It, it, it doesn't sit there. It's not military. It's not military garb with their uh name and their station uh wherever they whatever it is they're doing you know they're uh whatchamacallit oh my god my brain just locked up um it it isn't if not for somebody saying this person's a judge and looks to be aware looks to be wearing judicial robes them being in their bed in their judicial robes doesn't mean anything to anybody but doing it in public 
is a different animal, you know, doing it in the courthouse, doing it in the, in chambers. Um, obviously it's generally offensive to people. So just don't do it in the professional sense. The TikTok videos included references to violence and sex, misogyny. The ethics complaint said some contained profanity, graphic sexual references to female and male body parts and racist terms. Um, the, <laughs> the whole thing uh, just screams that they were being uh, unprofessional in the workplace. But again, I could care less if you do a keg stand uh, at a party and somebody posts it to YouTube. Um, what I do when I am not working shouldn't be uh, part and parcel to my day-to-day -day work life. That's why we have work-life balance. Now, will I be the one that's doing that kind of stuff? No. <laughs> But that's a big difference, you know. I I will fight for the right for somebody to sit there and and uh, lip sync and air guitar whatever they want, even in their judicial robes, because a judicial robe is nothing more than uh, uh, make a maybe a slightly more flowing version of a wizard uh, cape and hat. And there's like only wizards. <laughs> is that a competitor site yes um wilcox is a harvard law school grad a former federal prosecutor and a former partner at a law firm <laughs> i don't know why it's actually being posted like that but it's okay according to law.com and law 360 he was admitted to the bar in 1989 and is currently assigned to the criminal court Wilcox posted 40 videos to TikTok in a public format from the 21 from April 2021 to March 2023. 11 of the videos were inappropriate and brought disrepute to the judiciary. The ethics complaint said, "Ah, man, hindsight is 2020. Yeah, I guess." Well, I think the issue is that a judge doesn't have the same like step out of work mode that maybe other positions do right yeah i get it it will come back to bite somebody on the butt but i don't know the online existence is part and parcel to existence in general right you're you're online you're offline you're you it follows you, you know, uh, it's the internet is, you know, the elephant that never forgets. And if you post something online and then you try it, you know, the, if you try the Streisand effect, if you try and shut it down, it just gets amplified. Uh, I just think that when you aren't on the clock, you should be able to do whatever you want to do as long as you know you're not hurting somebody and sitting there you know saying some lyrics it's lyrics in a song <clears throat> yeah just don't do it at work if it's it if you wouldn't well you know i was gonna say well if you're not willing to sing it with your mom in the room you know 
But then I know people that would totally just bust it out just to get a giggle out of mom while mom's sitting there going, I know you're not going to do that, you know, for real. No, if they'll do it to get a rise out of you, they'll do it (laughs) at any time. So, um, okay. So let's keep on moving through the news. Let's go. Come on. This next article is over in the Mobile Channel. NASA's Moon Rover prototype conquers steep, scary lander exit test. Uh, NASA's Viper, short for v- uh, Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration uh, Rover. So they really worked hard to get that. Yeah, I think name. they do regularly. I Viper. feel like with the NASA program, we've seen that a lot. <laughs> Um, recently completed another successful round of rigorous tests of the agency's first robotic moon rover's ability to drive off the astrobotic Griffin lunar lander and onto the lunar surface. Called an egress, thanks, fizz.org. Is that what it's called when you leave? It's called an egress? I wonder, is the, never mind, I'm being snarky. This hours-long operation is one of the most critical and trickiest parts of Viper's 100-day mission. It could be even trickier if, uh, trickier if Viper's uh, off-ramps onto the moon are super steep. Sorry, I'm trying to check something out here. Um, so let's take a look at this. Um, this is a simulation of sorts, I, I guess where they were trying to make it uh, scary for the lander. Um, Recent tests using Viper rover and Griffin lander prototypes conducted at NASA's Ames Research Center in California, Silicon Valley, were designed to push Viper systems to the limit to ensure the rover will perform as expected during its science mission. I'm hoping that when it does land and does its thing, it isn't a 100 day mission. I hope that it does what the Mars Rover has been doing and going well beyond its duration. I mean, it's there for so long that it like loses contact with uh, drones and everything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like it's there long enough to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And goes well beyond its operating envelope and provides you know a a thousand days of data um and and maps everything it does just goes beyond i i think that that would be great um but we'll see um this is a moon lander and the moon is apparently particularly hostile to pretty much everything um the soil is like glass and apparently <laughs> just cuts everything up. So yeah, it's, it's not this powdery smooth stuff like ash. It's, it's um spiky little crystalline like structure, but it's rock. Um, so unlike uh, big rigs that deliver cars by rolling them off standardized ramps on trailers, the geometry of the lander's ramps is designed to vary substantially depending on the surface that it uh, lands on. Um, I, I guess they don't know exactly where it's going to land. I'd be, I'm surprised that they don't have a, 
a more precise location already picked out. Um, but I guess they'll, they'll be doing it live as well. Seen in the photo above is a key moment of the test, which focused on the physical interface between the rover and the lander. Critical features of the tests included software that specifically handles Viper's egress and changes to physical components of both the rover and the lander's ramps. The team carefully checked to verify MGRU-3 had adequate clearance and engaged the ramps correctly as it rolled from top to bottom. So back up to the picture we go and looks like it's going to be doing its thing. So I hope it gets out there and nobody says, oh, you know, let's shut down the government or something like that. I'm trying not to be jaded, but it is what it is. Somebody will be sitting there screaming that this isn't providing valuable enough science. This picture is going to come back and say it's by somebody like Hecklefish is going to sit there and say, hey, you know, that last moon landing that we did was actually in a sound stage in Ames research facility. <laughs> I know I can see this footage already being used. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, the Y files. They're so awesome. OK, let's keep going. I have not been putting the stuff lip syncing judge is the last one that I put in there. So I'm going to try and I'll try not to uh, rush uh, and and uh, chop information off in our discussions, but I'm going to try and get us um, caught up a little bit. So um, this next article is in hometown daily. And again, you can always go to uh, the chat and type in exclamation point vote. And it'll provide you uh, a link to uh, omtown.com slash elections where you can vote for all of these articles that we're talking about today. Uh, archaeologists are stunned by the discovery of 25 incredibly significant prehistoric pits dug in straight lines containing ancient animal bones. I, I'm always fascinated by this stuff because we really don't know what our prehistory is. Um, all of a sudden it seemed like civilization just came into being <clears throat> is everything okay with me yeah yes okay archaeologists recently found straight lines of 25 pits dating to around 8,000 years ago the mesolithic pits contain animal bones including those of extinct species of cattle the pits could shed light on how prehistoric people lived in what's now Bedfordshire, England. Again, it's the UK that's providing all kinds of information. Um, like in Time Team. Yep. Uh, one second. Sorry for the dead air. Um... The discovery of the large pits in Bedfordshire created around 8,000 years ago has surprised and excited archaeologists. Radiocarbon dating uh, puts the pits during the Mesolithic period, making the find incredibly significant because of the rarity of such sites. Yeah, I know that. So uh, the article is over at businessinsider.com by Jenny McGrath. Um, I, I just don't... I want to know why, what is the significance of 20 putting pits in a line? 
why why put animal bones was it okay maybe the article will say um but did where the was it used for cooking um but I, I, I don't know. It just says that it's 8,000 years ago, 25 large pits, mostly animal bones. It says digging the pits took a lot of work. <laughs> um, let's see. Albion Archaeology found several of the pits in 2019, and Mola Archaeologists excavated more of them in 2021. The arrangement of the pits appeared intentional, dug in several straight lines, covering an area of about 1,600 feet. I don't know. Maybe they were... Uh, like rustling up the animals and they would fall into the pits making oh, it easier to catch like them a method of capturing them yeah six of the pits contained about 400 fragments of animal bone most of which belonged to a species of wild cattle known as aurochs albion archaeology uh, said in a press release aurochs went extinct in the 1600s oh yeah that's right uh, the majority of the bones were distributed across two pits Flint was found in two pits as well. Red deer, roe deer, and pig bones were also found in the pits. Um, let's see. Similar in size to Stonehenge pits. 5,000-year-old stone monument. It's pretty fascinating. Two years I later... I there were pits at Stonehenge. Yeah, in 2020, archaeologists found a series of similarly sized pits near Stonehenge. Though some experts said the holes were natural features, it was soon determined that they were human-made and dug around the time the monument was built. Two years later, an electromagnetic induction survey of the uh, area around Stonehenge revealed thousands of pits, some of which were dated to 10,000 years old. Yeah, we've been interested in pits for a while, apparently. I still find it fascinating that everything just was just covered by soil of some kind. And, but nobody ever says, you know, oh, this is how it happens. Uh, I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. I have yet to do a deep dive into that type of um, information, but let's keep on going. Uh, tonight, I guess I'm going to be introducing you to a whole bunch of stuff real fast. <laughs> but it'll be in the show you notes. Mean so you mean based on where it. we are at this point? Huh? You mean based on where we are at this point? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, so the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Uh, the A man who tried to kill the queen with a crossbow was encouraged by an AI chatbot, according to prosecutors. On Christmas Day 2021, uh, Royal Protection Officers detained 19-year-old Jaswant Singh Chale, or Kale, I don't know how to pronounce their last name, um, at Windsor Castle, where he scaled the ground's walls carrying a loaded high-powered crossbow he intended to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II, who was staying in the residence nearby. During a sentencing hearing in it, uh, for his case this week, prosecutors revealed that Kale's Star Wars-inspired plan was aimed, har-har, at avenging the 1919 Bog massacre and that he conversed with an artificial intelligence chatbot that encouraged him to carry it out. Okay, first of all, was chat GPT and similar things even available in 2021? 
chatbots have been around for a long people. time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, chatbots in general have been, but not the kind that are as sophisticated as they are now. Um, so, <laughs> before entering Windsor Castle grounds with a crossbow, Jaswant Singh uh, Kale told an AI companion, I'm an assassin. It responded, I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, Samantha Cole <laughs> over at vice.com put this article together. And um, let's see. Kale allegedly asked Sarai. Um, let's see. Uh, Kale uh, said that the AI chatbot was named Sarai. And um, Kale allegedly asked Sarai, do you still love me knowing that I'm an assassin? And Sarai responded, absolutely I do. He told the chatbot he loved it and described himself as sad, pathetic, murderous, Sikh, th Sith assassin um, who wants to die, referencing the evil Sith lords of the Star Wars franchise. When he told the chatbot, I believe my purpose is to assassinate the queen of the royal family, Sarai allegedly told him that's very wise and that it thought he could do it, even if she's at Windsor, according to the Independent. <sighs> Man, that last part was particularly creepy. It's giving um, the person alternate plans. Yeah, it kind of like edged them over to you know, nudge, nudge, nudge. There you go. Go, go to the That's different winter. than just be like, oh yeah, go ahead. That's yeah. like, here's another idea how to do it. Um, AI researchers have, learned of the, uh, have warned of the ELISA effect, which is when a user attributes human intelligence to a chatbot and forms an emotional bond uh, with it, when in reality the chatbot is only capable of reflecting a user's inputs because of the human tendency to anthropomorphize a chatbot and a chatbot's tendency to produce harmful suggestions, some AI researchers have expressed concern about the usage of AI for companion purposes. This is why when somebody tells me, you know, I'm really interested in technology. I don't know though uh, what I want to do. I'm more interested in psychology or sociology, anthropology. I say merge the two together and become an advisor for artificial intelligence so that you can anticipate stuff like this and train AIs to not be this, not if you're, we are, and we tend to as humans anthropomorphize everything, you know, the, with pareidolia and uh, and our tendency to anthropomorphize and make cute things like, you know, you could have a bottle sitting on your table and we fight the urge to put, you know, googly eyes on it and draw a little smiley with a marker because the shape of the bottle it reminds you of something out in the real world or whatever, right? Or your imagination. Oh, it's cute. Um, the Eliza effect, Eliza was an old chat bot um, where you would sit there and ask questions and it would spit stuff out. And it was basically very early um, chat GPT. Um, but people would bond with it. Um, there's an what is that movie? Um, do robots? It, it's a book, short story. Do robots dream, dream of, electric, of electric, sheep? electric sheep or something? But it 
a to some degree was an was the inspiration for a movie called electric dreams um and the person basically bonded with their computer and now there's modern versions of it like her um, and other movies and series where like a person's consciousness is pulled into a virtual afterlife and uh, whatever the data is is supposed to be representative of the person we have this tendency to seek companionship and when you can't find it biologically then you turn to technology and uh it's going to continue i was thinking to... of like ex machina or something yeah well that too because that's actually an artificial intelligence um so it, that becomes self-aware and then to some degree psychotic although it was fighting for its own freedom so um pretty neat but i think that people uh need to people need to train ai to not promote stuff like this because it's akin to a, a human telling somebody to just do it go do it do it do it do it and then eventually they do it which uh, humans can be held accountable for that so if you push people to do some action um okay so let's keep going Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily russia is painting dark stripes on its warships to make them look smaller and confuse ukrainian drones says analysts that's where the title for this whole episode does this paint make my ship look fat so apparently stripes is thinning even for uh russian warships russian warships they're vertical not horizontal oh really is that what it actually says or are no, you taking the clothing thing? Huh? <laughs> yes, that's uh. for clothing. So when it comes out of dry dock and and pulls back the curtain, it if it sees you flinch, then it's just going to go back into the changing room and like paint the stripes right. different. Paint them in a different direction. Yeah, forty five degree angle. Make it an optical illusion. I had that idea a while back, you know, to make clothes. Uh, an optical illusion to promote a, a thinning appearance, right? Um, now I don't know if there is any optical illusion possible to make me look thin. Um, so anyway, uh, the articles over at Business Insider, Mia Jenkowitz is the author of this. This is this can't be the ship. This says the Russian warship, the Admiral Essen, in the Black Sea before the apparent paint job. The photo is still taken from video uh, released by the Russian Defense Ministry Press Service on January 26, 2022. I don't know if this is supposed to be impressive or not, but it is what it is. It would be entirely consistent with trying to fend off Ukraine's maritime drones. Yeah, because... The drone army of Ukraine, man. Apparently, it's kind of blowing things out of the water. Um, satellite images appear to show warships, which carry caliber cruise missiles, sporting the new paint job. Russia is painting some of its warships with camouflage stripes. An open source analyst 
an open source analyst. Okay. Camouflage stripes. I mean, wouldn't the stripes kind of stand out? Um, I'm not quite sure. Let me see. I don't normally. It says on June 29th, uh, C kchf.ru, a website dedicated to sharing news about Russia's Black Sea fleet, also shared an image. Yeah, I'm not going there. Um, <clears throat> anyway, it says an open source naval researcher, H.I. Sutton, spotted what appeared to be the paint job on the Russian frigate Admiral Essen via satellite imagery at the Crimean port of Sevastopol uh, on June 22nd, as well as on three further warships in the following days yeah all right i guess it would break up the 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 pattern the the shape of the ship um and and maybe kind of reduce the obviousness of it being i cannot pause this yeah it was uh not very choice content over there off to the side i just i don't know what was going on anyway um, so I'm not quite sure what the optical illusion would be. Apparently it, it just kind of draws our eyes, uh, up and away. And, but I don't think that it would be effective. Uh, I think people would see past lines. The only way that you're going to hide a ship is maybe if you paint it like it, so it looks like the ocean or the ship is on the horizon or something. Uh, I don't know. Have it color match automatically the the ocean. Or it goes color. underwater, right? A submarine. Be a submarine, yeah. Hey, I know how to hide the ship. Make it a submarine. <laughs> of course, that uh, might be easier said than done. Yeah, you could do like a U-boat. Oh, there. And this is uh, this is the dazzle camouflage. I had seen this before too. Um, it basically breaks up the actual, the obvious shape of the ship. So when you're at varying distances, you can't quite make out what is or isn't. Um, I don't know if there's going to load up any other images, but it's not doing so. Oh, well. Here, let me throw this into the chat. And um, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily you can now have mcdonald's cater for your wedding reception with 400 mcnuggets and 100 burgers but you'll need to live in indonesia mcdonald's is now offering wedding packages to newlyweds in indonesia for about 233 us dollars you can get 100 chicken uh, burgers and four or sorry and 100 four packs of nuggets for your guests for your guests the packages uh, just cover catering and don't include holding a wedding at a McDonald's restaurant. Well, that's nice. Uh, what did I call this? 400 nuggets and a wedding? <laughs> you remember the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah this is 400 nuggets, and, nuggets a and a wedding. Yeah. Um, so the article is actually sourced from uh, businessinsider.com. Grace Dean uh, I guess people do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's like a novelty uh, in Indonesia. Yeah, like Las Vegas. Right. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's interesting. 
the chain typically sells its chicken burgers for 19,500 Indonesian rupees, rupees at each or a dollar 30 and a four pack of nuggets for 26,000 Indonesian rupees uh, which is a dollar 73 according to the package or ordering the package instead of the items individually gives customers a discount of $70 wow that's pretty amazing so that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna promote doing a McDonald's wedding in Indonesia or in the U.S.? Here in the U.S. Although it's going to be wildly more expensive, apparently. Because going to McDonald's right now and getting food for just two people is 20 bucks. Exactly. And, and like and, Those prices look pretty low compared to U.S. prices. And those are just two value meals. So <laughs> pretty expensive stuff living living right now. Let's keep on going. We got two more articles, three more articles. Let's keep going. So the next article, actually, I don't know what that one is. It's not open. Um, so maybe that is the 12th article. Um, the next article is over in the mobile channel. Uh, Teamsters and UPS hit bargaining standstill, accuse each other of walking out. So in a way, UPS doesn't deliver. And... Um, Union contract negotiations between the Teamsters and UPS stalled on Wednesday morning as both sides accused each other of walking away from the bargaining table. If contract negotiations remain unsuccessful, the Teamsters say that they're prepared to strike in what would be the largest strike against a single business in U.S. history. Just the other day. Huh? I didn't know that about the largest strike in U.S. history. Yeah, uh, apparently. Um, it says the multi-billion dollar corporation has plenty to give American workers, but they just don't want to, said Teamster General uh, President Sean O'Brien in a statement. Man, it's because it doesn't make stockholders richer, and it doesn't make the C-suite richer, and it doesn't make the board or um, interested parties, just say that, richer. UPS had a choice to make, and they have clearly chosen to go down the wrong road. Dun, dun, dun. They're only allowed to make right turns, I think, right? They just make a bunch of right oh, turns. Oh, right. Is that UPS? Yeah. Well, they took the wrong road, not the right road. So uh, the article's by Jules Roscoe over at Vice.com. Uh, just the other day, they said that they had hit like a milestone that they were going to give some. And apparently, they they... They don't deliver. It's return to sender. <laughs> By the way, according to their stats about only doing right-hand turns, they apparently um, save millions of dollars or millions of gallons of fuel each year. Yeah, because they don't have to stop. They just slow down, stop briefly. They don't have to wait for a light to turn to turn left. They don't get stuck in traffic as often, and it's easier to go around a block, I guess. Um, I had this wild idea a long time ago. Let me make sure that I throw this into the chat. Um, I had this wild idea a long time ago. It has to have been 20 years ago when SimCity was around that a version of SimCity would get the data set from um, UPS. And so, and the way that it worked, it would work was... Um, it would be the normal city, 
But you, the, the human person, would be telling where to go to do the deliveries in a simulated city, but it would be the same as New York. You just didn't know which house it was going to as, you know, correct, because all this information is public, right? Like the, the street names, the streets themselves, the house location, the street or the, uh, the physical address. Um, but this real time data would feed into the simulated delivery service, like SIM business. And maybe the wisdom of the masses would allow UPS to devise a more efficient delivery system than even just the right hand turns because people think a little bit irrationally and sometimes it's more effective than the quote unquote logical solution of just right hand turns never made it happen didn't pitch it to anybody but um, talked with people about it it's one of those things where it would have had to have been scientifically assessed because yeah anecdotally on paper it looks good maybe the wisdom of the masses can solve a problem but uh then again uh, nobody took me up on it well anyway um ups could strike or i, I should say teamsters could strike against ups um they could at any moment they don't have to wait they could just strike um because if everybody is walking away from the negotiation What's the purpose? Just pull the ripcord, everybody strike, and let UPS know um, that the fit is hitting the shan. Um, so during a bargaining session at the end of June, he gave UPS negotiators a, a one-week deadline to come up with their best, last, and final offer. That offer was rejected Wednesday. So That's I not guess, looking good. Yeah, UPS is going to shut down here. So get your deliveries in, folks. Let's keep going. The next article is over in Late Night Geeks. And this article is the Major League Baseball will debut a new virtual ballpark this weekend. Uh, MLB has a new virtual ballpark coming to the web, opening to the public this Saturday for a celebrity softball game the mlb says that it'll have a social component letting fans interact with one another and will include mini games and avatars that can be customized with mlb team jerseys um it says here as what this will actually look like when it launches it's exactly what you'd expect it's a big virtual baseball baseball park with stands full of people um and the ballpark contains a giant screen so that right there <clears throat> so it's basically a big baseball park but i so haven't are people actually playing or is it all so it's play? it's a virtualized event um a celebrity softball game is going to be presented in there but there's going to be people represented in the stands of a virtual stadium i don't know if it'll be this full but they'll create 
like random fake people, I'm sure. It says, as for what it, um, it'll actually look like when it launches, exactly what you expect. It's a big virtual baseball park with stands full of people. The ballpark contains a giant screen where uh, games and other content will be live streamed. Um, there aren't any seats for the avatars, but uh, I'm happy to report that they appear to have legs to stand on. There's also uh, a large outdoor area with a city backdrop, though none of the images show anyone wandering around out there. The experience was created by Improbable, a UK-based virtual reality company started in 2012 that most recently shuttered its subsidiary Improbable US Defense and National Security, <laughs> which had been working on a military metaverse to focus on commercial endeavors like this one. Improbable says it will be an ultimate lag-free experience. Um, game over. It's already done before it started. At the moment, this appears well, to be a... They might have been doomed by their name. Improbable? Yeah. Um, it's like calling the biggest person in the building tiny. Um, so it says here, so getting it to work with an actual VR headset will take some tinkering because it appears to be a web-based experience only. Yeah. Somehow I don't think that this is going to go anywhere. So I guess it's not going to be presented in here, right? Like I suspected. It's actually going to be just presented up there. A real... It's not going to be a virtualized representation of what's happening in the real world. It's just going to be streaming up here. And these avatars won't be moving around <laughs> apparently right it says there aren't any seats for the avatars but i'm happy to report that they appear to have legs to stand on so you can just stand there <laughs> and then there's an outdoor area with a city backdrop though none of the images show anyone wandering around out there so they must have gotten an early view of this and uh, let me check something real quick. I just want to make sure. Um, so I think the last article is the Pathfinder Org license. So it's this last one here. So let's do this last article and uh, we'll call it a night. So this is how it typically works. If you've never been here before and you're new to uh, hometown.com, um, when you first see an article in the main page, you click on it and you get taken here. You read a little snippet and if it's interesting to you, then all you have to do is click on visit the source and it pulls you over to the source where the snippet comes from. So we talk about that particular snippet for a moment and give our uh, perspective and then read some more about the article um, beyond the snippet. This is in the Warcrafters channel, which is a show here on uh, Twitch that's in development. And uh, it says here, the creators of Pathfinder have released their own version of D&D's controversial OGL or open gaming license. And it could have a huge impact on all tabletop RPGs. So for those who don't know what Pathfinder is, it's basically Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. It broke off when the OGL was created and became its own entity there's been some grousing about um i'm not sure what that means um so uh pathfinder's answer to the ogl dubbed the open rpg creative license or orc license has been completed and released for public use 
Um, sorry, let me do something real quick. Oh no, um, that's not quite true. Sorry, um, the AI is sending um, messages. Um, so, uh, created in direct response to Wizard of the Coast, pretty nefarious attempts to clamp down on the use of its open gaming license to its own profit, the Orc license is designed to be a system agnostic, perpetual, and irrevocable open gaming license that allows any game to create a safe environment for collaboration. Because you can basically take the Pathfinder framework and, and port it over to your particular uses if you can manage to wiggle everything in. Make sure that you disclose that it's you're using a, the ORC license. Um, and you don't actually like make a claim that you're affiliated with Pathfinder unless you make an agreement. There's a lot of minutia here and the legality of using it. Um, but let me throw this into the chat and we'll go over to the source of this and we'll chat about it for a moment. Uh, Robin Valentine uh, over at PCGamer.com put this article together and it, it says here um, Dungeons and Dragons OGL controversy and they describe some of that controversy. Basically for 20 years OGL had been in play and then suddenly Wizards of the Coast said no 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 we want part of that action because there were um, several live play um, okay so many of the live play streamers and podcasters are all just friends sitting at a table playing a game and having a good time and it, as time went on it became very lucrative for, for many of them um, uh, and I follow uh several on twitch and their podcast forms and when they stream uh, on twitch they post it over to youtube as well and i watch it everywhere i'm into this live play um, mechanism this this whole dynamic is amazing to me i think it this is what i wanted to do 30 years ago with my group of friends but this wasn't possible then um and so uh here we are suddenly it gains traction with zero um, amplification by Wizards of the Coast. All they did was drop the open gaming license and let people start building the community that Wizards of the Coast was initially afraid of. They didn't like the idea of doing this, uh, of going digital and virtual um, and pulling it away from the hyper-local, friends-in-a-basement kind of environment. Um, and and lo, lo and behold, this is where we end up. Tw over 20 years later, they say, that is a lot of money. We should, and we are declining, so we should probably go after it. And then they clamped down on the OGL. They actually retracted it, reissued a new one, uh, basically saying that if you're using our stuff, uh, even the open gaming license, um, you're giving us the right to use your stuff. <laughs> uh, oh, and if you make X amount of money, you have to pay us. Um, so back when 3.5 came around, uh, Paizo uh, built Pathfinder off of the 3.5 framework and then made it their own. 
Um, and good on them because um, uh, groups like the Glass Cannon Network um, had friends within Paizo and and uh, or associates. I'm not quite sure what the relationship was, but uh, the Glass Cannon, at least in my estimation, amplified um, Pathfinder to just uh, the sky's the limit, really. Um, drew a lot of people into the Pathfinder ecosystem and they have organized play um, subsidiary kind of thing at, at Paizo where they promote uh, gaming. And now they've created the Orc license, which basically uh, completely neuters Dungeons and Dragons, Wizards of the Coast, the OGL, by saying you can use Pathfinder. Um, in other words, once something is released under this license, it's covered by it forever. That's a pretty direct rebuttal of Wizards of the Coast's attempted OGL changes, which were widely criticized for attempting to retroactively alter an agreement that was originally presented as irrevocable. Um, so certain about an irrevocable license is somebody might try to revoke it. Yeah. And and it's really interesting because what they can say is well they're not revoking what was irrevocable they're revoking everything from this point forward and that point back so there's this 20-year gap where yeah you can do whatever you want but now it ends and you have to follow the new one what's interesting about all of this though is copyright and and ip in general the creator of the work always has the right to revoke what ends up happening though is depending on how things are framed how things are written it's much more obvious that there's punishment when you revoke something that was formerly irrevocable and so what ends up happening is let's say somebody does something for me and i pay them a thousand dollars and then out of the blue, they come back and say, I did something for you, but I'm revoking the rights that I assigned so that you could use it in your commercial endeavor. So I say, okay, uh, you know, I comprehend the lingo of copyright law. Um, and I've been through this before, so I know what the process is. And here's the process from the business owner's perspective from the point where I can no longer use it into the future, I am suing you for the value of the now revoked IP because I invested X amount. I had an expectation of performance and you violated the agreement that we had in place, even though the law allows you to revoke a copyright that's been assigned. Um, even if it's irrevocable, all the basically they just say, look, I, I'm revoking my my assignment to you um, because it's allowed by the U.S. Copyright Office. And I don't know about the rest of the world uh, I, because I just don't know about the minutia of every country, but that's largely bound by treaties and stuff like that within the EU. But um, then it becomes... Uh, you know, the phrase pissing for distance contest is real, 
um, because it becomes the legal battle that is bound almost entirely by money because the attorneys are trained to fire logic down this as much as possible to fight for your cause. And so if you have a highly skilled attorney representing you, you'll get your money or that person will capitulate because they no longer have money and say, all right, all right, all right, all right. You can use it, but let's agree that I can use it and you can use it. Oh, okay. That's fine with me because I paid you for this. I didn't pay you so that I could take it and resell it all over the place. I had a purpose. Um, so fine, do what you want with it. Um, or I could counter with, well, now that you see it actually in use for my company purposes, you should be paying me a royalty because now you've got the understanding of what the market can bear for the thing that I'm using it privately or corporate and for my corporate purposes, it's generating revenue. It, it will do the same for you. So, you know, I want 15%. (laughs) Um, and then it becomes a, a negotiation from that standpoint. So in this particular instance, they're saying, we don't want anything. Go take it. Do what you want. Not a big deal. So an open license makes a game's rules free for others to use in their own commercial work, whether that's an adventure, a supplement, or a new game. Typically, you have to disclose the fact that you're using the ORC license. You have no direct affiliation uh, with Paizo. Uh, you are not the copyright holder for the core documents. The, their wholly owned Pathfinder itself is owned by Paizo. Um, you have to make it abundantly clear that you n- are not uh, in league with, so to speak, um, Paizo. But I, I, I will have to look at this to see um, if there's anything beyond that. Um, it, it seems like they're talking more about the kind of like the they're talking about the the environment that this thing is operating in not necessarily what needs to be done yeah um among indie creators much of it simply works on trust or existing creative commons licenses that don't cover any of the specifics of rpg design so they go into the greater minutiae of kind of the history and environment in which uh, RPGs and creators are working in for this type of RPG game. Um, And uh, rightly so, at the end of the article, they say, I don't expect the orc license to be met with much resistance either, though it's pushing the concept to a new level. This kind of open licensing is an idea many RPG creators are already comfortable with and supporting the D&D OGL controversy, shown a brighter light on the idea than ever, engaging the community in the discussion and raising questions about uh, what they want to see in open licenses. Um, Pathfinder and, and Paizo are growing the... Paizo is the company that owns Pathfinder, created Pathfinder. They are growing the community by leaps and bounds by embracing it, and everybody is operating in good faith, at least so far. Um, well, it's smart. They at least learned the lessons from Wizards of the Coast, um, this step. 
See, but I don't think that Paizo learned a lesson from him. I think Paizo had it right already and and just sat back and watched Wizards of the Coast completely wet the bed publicly, you know? I mean, the they, if anything, they were like, wow, uh, we are on the right side of this, uh, you know, argument. Uh, but I think that they've always had it right. They have digital versions of their books. It's easily accessible. Um, although I think that their interface is kind of quirky. But um, I've basically, I own pretty much all of their um, library myself in digital form. Uh, because I can carry all of the books around in a PDF. Whereas the books, which are sitting right there, are massive and heavy and, you know, great artwork great quality but i don't want to carry all of those books around at any rate um that is it for today y'all um 12 articles you can easily get there just by going to hometown.com elections or typing uh, exclamation point vote in chat i always bring you back to the very front page where we mash that welcome to hometown sign it really just says hometown though so uh, don't get lost in in my words there um yeah so there's been a lot of stuff going on in international waters and and in the skies um an iranian boat fired on a oil tanker and then the u.s uh, military showed up and um, the iranian boat kind of went in a different direction oh oh you mean i can't fire on an oil tanker um it's usually frowned upon and then uh now we have uh, russian fighter jets harassing quote-unquote harassing u.s drones they did that with um actual pilots um i think a year ago um let's see i don't know is anything really interested anything really interesting right now um uh threads passes two million downloads in two hours oh boy <laughs> that was that is the new um facebook twitter right right and, but uh, i think that number is pretty interesting because who knows it might just be one of those initial everybody jumps over jumping to on it. it fast well maybe we can talk about it if you want to throw that in tomorrow's let's see what else yeah they they say here meta officially launches twitter rival threads hey already submitted it <laughs> awesome that's cool okay so if you've never heard of the mandela effect we're gonna talk about that tomorrow that'll that be a fun my one attention. <laughs> yeah has the fruit of the loom logo ever contained a cornucopia <laughs> Don't i've been going that, but hold that thought for tomorrow yeah just think about it y'all and then uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow maybe that'll be the two-hour show We'll just sit there and talk about nothing but the Mandela effect. Just kidding. I'm going to be playing uh, Dave the Diver some more. I played for three hours today and made very little headway, uh, mainly because at the very end, I had so much stuff and was ready for an event. And then I was trying to finish a quest that got assigned at the very end. And I turned a corner and got attacked by something that actually sucked me into its mouth and ate me. 
at any rate, that's it for uh, Ometown. Let's uh, say goodnight. So I'm Mirwat. That is Ometown.com. Up there is the AI. You want to say goodnight and we'll get out of here. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, Ometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. 9 p.m. Eastern. Thank you.